like, oh my God, I've never seen anybody who looked like you with that title. All right, that's not cool, <laughs> right? That's not cool. Retail's been around a long time. It's an interesting industry, but there's so much to it that people just don't even realize. Welcome to the Booster Boutique Podcast. I'm your host, Emily Benson, corporate merchant turned boutique owner turned consultant. I want you to start, grow, and scale your boutique business right here with me. If you're ready to master your mindset, margins, and marketing, you're in the right place. You might have just heard that intro and thought, oh my gosh, this is not the right podcast. I'm confused. I've been listening to Emily for four seasons now, and that is not what the beginning of her podcast sounds like. Well, it's time for a change, friends. I am ready to step into this new year with a changed intro to the podcast, new ideas for guests, new music, all the things. Like, aren't we just ready for a fresh start? Because I know I am. I hope you had a great new year. Here we are on season five. Can you believe it? If you are just tuning in and this is your first episode with me, my goodness, welcome. You have about 130 episodes to go back and listen to. I'm just kidding. This is the most important one right here, right now. But just know that I have an entire free library of these podcasts wherever you're listening, whether it's on Apple or Spotify or whatever your podcast service is. I have over a hundred episodes of free content for you. So all of you that are asking me on Facebook for more marketing, how to build my audience, what about social media? Guys, I've got it. Just scroll a little bit. Just look for it. I promise I have it. This season, I'm really dedicated to bringing some unique voices to the podcast and bringing some unique ideas to the podcast. I really want to push us forward. I see boutiques being the future of retail 100% because big box retailers are not going to know what to do post-pandemic. They are flailing, they are struggling, and you, my friend, have taken the past year, pivoted, pivoted, step ball changed your way into a new way of doing business. You've gotten closer to your customers. You've streamlined processes. You've maybe had your kids home doing virtual school. And like, guess what? We're on our way to life being a little bit easier. And I will continue to do what it takes to make your life easier in boutique land. This episode is particularly exciting for me. I had one of the most intelligent conversations that I've had in a really long time with a woman named Kimberly Lee Miner. I'm excited to introduce you guys to her. She is a business owner and creative executive with over 25 years of senior level leadership experience spanning merchandising, product development, and brand development and management. My goodness, uh, her career is extremely impressive. And when I say that I was nervous to interview her, I it's the truth, I was, because she is so impressive. And frankly, at the end of our interview, I said, my gosh, Kimberly, if you were my boss in corporate retail, I don't think I ever would have left because it's clear to me how good you are at your job and how much you care just through how you speak. 
She started out in the executive training program at Macy's. She then joined Express as a retail analyst and allocator. And then she worked her way up very quickly at Express to senior merchant. That led her to many awards and continuing to work at incredible retailers like Ann Taylor Loft, Iconics Brand Group, where she was the brand president for London Fog, Rampage, Bongo, and Joe Boxer. Most recently, she was Senior Vice President, Strategy, Merchandising, Operations, Home, Gifting, and Accessories, and Third Party for Bath and Body Works. She's had her own clothing label. She's had her own boutique. She is a mom of two high school-age boys. Our conversation spans so much. We talk about the retail industry in general. We talk about the opportunities for growth in the retail and boutique industry. We talk about diversity and inclusion and company culture and what that looks like for you. So don't skip over this episode. Stay tuned. It's a long episode, I know, but go on a long walk, listen, absorb everything Kimberly has to say because her perspective is really wonderful. And I'm very excited for you to hear this and for you to let me know what you think. So here we go. Like, oh my God, I've never seen anybody who looked like you with that title. I've never, you know, like, yeah. okay. All right. That's not cool. <laughs> right? That's not cool. Retail has been around a long time. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting industry, but there's so much to it that people just don't even realize, which I think is great for what you're doing. Right? I, I think it's fabulous. I, I had a business um, when I, when Priscilla Boston closed, I decided I was just going to do a small business. And, and throughout my adult life, I've had little boutiques and my own clothing line. And um, I remember going into the market with this last JC's closet, which was in South Orange, New Jersey. And talking to the vendors and going to the shows and doing all that. And, and then coming back with my orders written out, <laughs> right? Like, and like, you know, I had my open to buy and I was like giving them orders and they were like, you've done this before. Like, well, yeah, I've done it on a big scale, but I've always approached even my work in corporate retail as an entrepreneur. Um, and so I've learned a lot. Yeah. And I also know that when you show up like that, you're treated like that. And so that what you're doing is so important because you don't know what you don't know. And I'm sure, I don't know, Emily, I talk a lot, but I, <laughs> I, I wonder I <laughs> you um, in your, in, you know, in your career path, corporate and now, um, how many times have people come to you and their child um, likes to shop or likes fashion. And oh, Emily, can you? They 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 want to be a buyer. I want Can you make them a buyer? Or you know, I want to open a store because I love to shop. Emily, it's not working. I have a sh- I have all this inventory. I don't know why people don't want it. <laughs> right. I mean, that's what I hear constantly. Honestly, because. I always say that being a good merchant is a mix of data and intuition. Yes. You cannot be one or the other because I also have worked with people who are one or the other. And 
I was fortunate also kind of like you to stumble into retail through the Abercrombie training program Mm. through a friend of a friend who, you know, as fate would have it, I ended up moving to Columbus and living right there on high street. And I remember in my training class, I had a degree in fine arts. So I came from it, uh, like from a apparel design and Mm. I just wanted to know how do we get these things made that I've been sitting here designing. Right. So that was kind of like my quest. Like I, I called Abercrombie like my retail grad school because I really learned like the life cycle of a product. And, you know, because I had been in college just kind of making things and cutting things up and sewing them and then designing like a piece of fabrics, but I never could figure out how to put the pieces together. So Mm. I cracked up because I was in this 10 week training program with these, you know, kind of privileged kids, you know, I'll be honest, like that went to Duke and that went to Harvard and that went to Princeton for accounting, finance, um, psychology. And I was like, why are you guys here? Like, this is like a creative like profession. Like it, and they would come to me because, you know, we'd have to do group projects and uh, I'm sure it was, you know, kind of similar to the Macy's program, but they'd come to me and they just didn't understand that like there was this whole creative side to it. And somehow I being like the art student (laughs) that fell in with all these sort of like cerebral people, Mm -hmm. I ended up just being like, no, you have to understand like fashion. Like, don't you read like W don't you look at Harper's Bazaar? Like you guys, like this is such a disconnect for me. And, And I remember calling my parents, you know, I was like 22. It was my first job Mm -hmm. in the middle of the country. I'd never been to, literally went to Columbus once for my interview. Where are you from? Boston. Okay. Yeah. So I, um, I remember calling my parents on the way home from one of the training days, you know, you're in those classes all day. Yes. And I just remember bawling and being like, I just don't fit in here. Like, I, I don't get it. Like I don't fit in with these people. And I remember my dad just saying, listen, you're a good problem solver. That's what we have raised you to be as a problem solver. And this is just another problem that you get to solve. Like stick it out, stay a year. Like it's, I promise if things go bad and you really, you know, if you're really in a bad place, like we'll figure something out, you know, but like, give it a chance because you have an opportunity that like, this is obviously challenging you Mm -hmm. on a different level that you haven't been challenged. So like stay and stick it out. And like, see what happens. And I'm so glad I did because they put me in the accessories department, which was perfect. I got to work with all these different media. I was working with leather and rubber. It was just, I was like, Oh, thank God I didn't put in like knits or something really sort of basic. So it ended up working, but, um, retail is a, it's a funny, it's a funny industry that's very, hidden like I feel like Mm -hmm. people don't understand like the fact that you came from planning and allocation and were able to move to merchandising I feel like that rarely happens well it does I'll tell you funny so I'm a no I'm a weird background right like my degrees in radio television and film and I went to grad school for my MBA in marketing I went to art school I you know that was my minor always creating, um, much like you, like I, I, I was never trained though, um, in design or anything, but I always did my own stuff 
and I did all my friends' wedding dresses and um, would just create stuff. And I loved it. Like that was just part of who Kimberly was. Mm -hmm. And um, <laughs> when I got into, and that's actually how I uh, got the attention of the recruiter for Macy's because I was going down that path of, you know, sending out my tapes. I just knew I was going to be on TV. Actually, I wanted to be the next Oprah. And at that time, I wasn't mature enough to realize you can't be the next Oprah. There's only one Oprah, right? Um, <laughs> but I really enjoyed that industry. And, and I, you know, I liked um, talking to people and being on, but I was getting offered jobs in really undesirable places. And I, I wasn't really willing to to do that work, right? Like, I just don't see myself in South Dakota. Like I just can't. And so I was in the career office and um, the recruiter saw me a lot and he was like, you know, you just have this sense of style. I see how people interact with you. You really should try it. And, and I was like, yeah, retail, no way. no way, don't have any interest. And so long story longer, I get in and um, I get to the point where I am a group manager in the Macy stores. I am the person who wears the white flower. And when there's a problem if the sales manager, I mean, if the store manager isn't there, I'm the one who comes down and I have these, all these different areas of the store. And so one of my vendors, when I was an assistant, uh, she stopped being a vendor to work for Express. And she recommended me to them. So I went and I thought I'm going to go there to be a buyer, right? I've been an assistant. This is what I'm interested in. This is what she talks about. And they offered me a job that day. It was like my second time in Columbus ever, much like you with Abercrombie. And uh, they offered me a job. And the job is store analyst. So, so I said, well, so store analysts, so what does that career path look like? Because we didn't really talk about that. So they tell me and it's planning and allocations. I said, oh, well, thank you for the offer, but I can't accept that. And they were like, what? Who are you? <laughs> like, what? Like, they wow. really looked at me like, did she just say that? And I said, no, you know, I look, I would love to work for Express, you know, specialty is just really coming of age and I want to know about it. This was like the mid nineties. And I was like, I want to know all about it. I really do. And Express is a brand that I really like, but if I take this job knowing that my only opportunity is to stay on this path and playing an allocation, I'm going to leave because that has, I can't tell you how much interest I don't have in that. And so, um, they were like, huh, okay, well, we're going to have you go out with the realtor. And then when you come back, we'll talk. Okay. So I go out, come back and they're like, so, you know, we've talked about it. You've talked, you've thought about it. What do you think? And I said, I think I'd really like to work for you, but I do not want to be in playing an allocation. I said, look, I get playing an allocation. I am very strong on the left and very strong on the right and did extremely well in math. I get it. I said, and when I went through Macy's training program, I had to do a lot in math and a lot in planning. And I did very well. It's just not where I want my career to go. And they said, well, we've talked about it. 
And we've never really done that before. If you come in in this path, that's where you stay. But if you come in this path and you do extremely well, Kimberly, we promise you, we will not pigeonhole you. And I said, okay. And so I got in there and, and um, I moved very quickly, had a lot of successes, got key contributor awards of being in planning and allocation. And then I was working for Carol Williams um, in planning and allocation, but in the pants department. And she came to me one day and she said, I think you should be a merchant. And I have gotten like three promotions over three years maybe not even three years. And I said, oh, well, I've only been in this job for like six months. And she said, and do you think being in that job for six months longer is going to make you better as a merchant? I don't think so. I said, uh, okay. <laughs> and that was like what, what, that's how I got, you know, got out of uh, playing allocation, but I, I, I've been in enough roles that I've subsequently been able to lead playing an allocation because I do get it and I understand how the pieces work together. And I'm really glad I did that because now I can really be a true leader because I've done all the roles. Like I know I've done every playing and allocation role. I've done every merchandising role. I've, I know product development. I know sourcing, right? I even know design. I'm not a designer but I know what good design looks like and how to work with designers. So I understand how to work with different people. And I also understand what they do and what their challenges are. So I can help gap the, you know, stand in those gaps. But I say that to young people all the time when they're, when they're interviewing, like, don't be afraid, like, don't be afraid to let people know what you want or what's important to you. Because if you don't and you get stuck in a situation, it's bad for both people. You're, you're stuck. And I think, you know, as you talk about that too, it's, it's, it's interesting that you felt so strongly, like you had that voice to be able to say that, because I do think that in a corporate position, especially retail is a little bit intimidating, to be honest, mm -hmm. there were yeah. jobs I went into and I was, I'm a, I'm a six foot tall, pretty strong woman. And, you know, but I was like, Oh, these women scare me. Like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, but like how amazing for you to just step up and be like, no, this is what I want. This isn't my vision. And I'm not willing to sacrifice it, even though this is sort of like the box you want to put me in. It's, it's, it, you know, as I've gone through this whole path in this sometimes really scary industry, um, oftentimes I wonder because towards the end, like it, uh, when I got to Bath and Body Works, I didn't always feel like I had a voice. And I, and it, it actually, quite honestly, Emily, it made me, um, it made me sick <laughs> because I've always been someone who has a voice and not only a voice for myself, but a voice for other people who might not have a voice. And when I, when I was in this situation where the corporation culture just me, every time I spoke out, I felt like I was just looked at like, oh, what is she saying? And, you know, um, kind of lost that voice. Like I never ever, and I had this conversation last week, I have never felt like I don't belong wherever I am. 
right? I've never had imposter syndrome. I've never felt like I'm here for any reason other than I have busted my ass and I'm here for that reason. And, yeah. and I think that, and, and, and it's not hubris. It really is because you have to fight in this business. Like you have to work really hard. And so I never felt that I shouldn't be somewhere or things I said weren't understood or, but in this last situation in, in corporate America, I started to feel that feeling of, hmm, why am I here? Am, am I speaking a different language? Why all of a sudden am I not being heard? What do I need to say? Oh, now I feel a little intimidated. I don't know. I, I feel out of place. I feel like I'm like a fish out of water. This is not a good feeling. I don't like this. And and when I really put focused on it, it it really made me physically ill because I thought, well, what is wrong with me that I can't figure this out? And I'm sure that there are a lot of people out there who go into these situations where they're not fitting and they think that the onus falls on them, but really the onus is not on them. It's really a, a, a culture of retail to a certain degree has been a culture of, you know, you have to look a certain way, you have to speak a certain way, you have to think a certain way. And um, when you are slightly askew of those <laughs> preset uh, um, expectations, you can either be a person who's like, yeah, it's who I am, I'm here. Or you can be a person who, I don't know how to make myself fit in, I need to find something else. Uh, and I don't think it should have to be either or. It's a very large world. And when you think about the global globalization of everything that we do, to have to fit into someone's little box that they have created just seems so ridiculous. <laughs> it's just, uh, I don't know. No. Well, and I think, honestly, Kimberly, you're totally speaking my language because when I got to certain corporate places, first of all, I was always shocked that sort of men were in charge of mm. deciding what happened with women's bodies. And, you know, there was a lot of, um, honestly, there was a lot of body shaming, I feel like, happening from a male perspective with yes, fit models especially and yeah, and you were you were in the heat of it too, being at A and F. I mean, if we're yes. speaking honestly, yeah, you know, your boss, bad reputation, super bad, and it and it went for years. I re I remember when the, unchecked uh, for the, years. Yeah, like unchecked. I remember one of the HR leaders from Express went to work there, and he was a black man, and and we had become very good friends. He was like. His, his daughter was the same age as I was, and she was in the, the program at Gap, and here I am at Express. And so um, I remember having dinner with he and his wife, and he was like, I, I don't even know how I can be here because it's, <laughs> he couldn't even talk about it because of what, everything, the body shaming, just the inappropriate conversation and, and focus and 
you know, and yet to the street and to the people who were shopping there, they had no idea what you had to deal with to, to do your job. No idea. And I think that, you know, it was interesting. I watched an interview that you did and you said, I'm a firm believer that women make things happen. Mm -hmm. And I sort of kick myself, you know, because I wish I could go back there and make a change. Mm -hmm. I was young, you know, I was 23 and, you know, you don't want to speak out of turn. You have to really respect, I feel like sort of the hierarchy and politics of the fashion industry. But I got to the point by the age of 28, 29, where I was like, I have good ideas. I know what I'm talking about. And I'm sitting in a meeting where a man who has literally no touch, doesn't really understand not only a woman's perspective on clutches, beaded clutches and belts and <laughs> right. Like these things that are super feminine, like, and you're sitting here telling me that I have to completely start over from scratch when I've worked so hard on this. I know what I'm, I've put so much thought and energy into this and I want to make money with this. Assort. Like, are we on the same team here? Like I'm confused because I feel so demoralized mm -hmm. by these men in power, really not respecting my opinion that, you know, listen, I was young. I, I fully admit that. But like you said, I worked for those because I worked my butt off. I was up at 6.30 in the morning on Mondays yeah. pulling reports. Well. I, was, I was on emails with vendors at midnight in mm -hmm. China trying to get things done. I mean, I was just sick of it. I'm over it. This is like a bad relationship. Like I need to break up with this boyfriend because they are not treating me well. Yes. yes. And frankly, I don't know what divine intervention came into my brain, but I was like, I can do this on my own. Like, mm -hmm. I can do this. I've proven it to myself over and over. And that's what really led me into the boutique world. Do you feel like you are more empowered to stand up for yourself? You know, I, when I had my, my store and I had JC's closet for three years at the beginning, people were like, Oh, what are you doing now? <laughs> it's not so deep. It's a store. <laughs> and oh, by the way, I came from retail, so it's right. not like <laughs> exactly. And and there were a few of those people, but I don't really, I don't remember them <laughs> because like I don't need everybody to agree with me. I think that's great, you know. Like I've raised my kids that way, so they challenge me on a daily basis. Like, mom, what, what, uh, you know? And so I'm like, that's great. Let me tell you why. But then there are those people, and I care what they think because they're my kids, right? But the but anyone who's not helping me breathe life into my body, supporting my kids or anything else, your opinion is great. I whatever. But if I don't know that you have my best interests at heart, like if you're telling me something negative just because you don't get it, that's your problem. You know, I, I can't, and I'm not upset about it, you know. I was talking to someone the other day. They're like, oh, you're so nice. I'm like, you know, people don't normally say that about me. But just understand that I also have gotten to the age where I don't need to defend myself. So if you think I'm being nice just because I let you say what you have to say, and I'm like, oh, have a great day. God bless you. That I'm not being nice. <laughs> I'm just letting you know I'm, I'm good. You know, like the song, I'm happy by Pharrell, like 
that that is that is me. Like, you know what? I made it this far. Look, I am at the age that my mother passed away. And I'm healthy. I have a beautiful family. I'm doing something that means a lot to me. And um, I, I couldn't be more blessed. So if you're going to bring negative energy over here or question me, I, I okay. <laughs> no, thank you. Right? No, thank you. And, um, you know, being a full-time entrepreneur because of the way I've chosen to now morph my business and to be, you know, really about helping businesses as they create their processes. And it's always about process improvement to me, you know, whether it's improving the quality of your product, the, 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 the quality of your team's life as they work, because process affects all of that. Um, but I help companies do that and make sure that the values of their customer and their employees are reflected in what they do. And that, you know, when you, when you do that mirror, it's not really a mirror, it's a mirror to your customer, right? So you have to be customer centric and you have to do what's right. Like, what does your, what, what does your talent pool look like? What does that, um, the, 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 the pipeline, you know, is it reflective of your consumer? Is it reflective of anything or is it reflective just of you? Because if it's reflective just of you, then you need me to come in and help you because your business is not going to survive. It's just not going to survive because right now, especially going through COVID and the challenges that COVID put on every business, especially retail, right? Because the stores need to be closed and then they need to reopen. And if you have not been innovative and understood and, and, and been ready to swerve your business to D to C, I mean, even beyond just e-commerce, like there needs to be a brand and a, a connection to the customer. They need to see themselves authentically and your stories need to reflect that you get it. And not just your stories, but your teams. I have, I have several clients who at the store level reflect. You get past that entry level and you start to look at what well, what's the what is the first level of management look like and that's when you walk you, you see oh that's that's a broken rung oh we need to fix that well if that rung is broken then i'm sure no one else has gotten above that so what does that look like and it it's just it's it's ridiculous that in 2020 we are still having those conversations right but we are but people need to understand how all of that works together. You know, you can't, a brand is a promise and you can't, how can you tell a promise to someone when you don't know anything about that person? And what you're saying, I think really reflects the deeper level of why we're doing this. I mean, most of my listeners are pretty small businesses, right? Mm -hmm. It's maybe they're solopreneurs or they have one or two employees. There's definitely some bigger ones that have, you know, 10, 15, 20 employees, and I think as you're talking through this, it's really interesting because I do feel like people in terms of hiring and diversifying, just thinking about, okay, what does my culture look like in my mm -hmm. company? They don't actually think about that. And I think 
and some of that is due to, like we talked about at the beginning, a lot of people coming into the retail boutique industry. It's all the same. And I continue to say it's all the same from a perspective of being a teacher or being a nurse or being kind of an employee mindset where they, they're not in that leadership mindset of saying, how do I want my company culture to look? How do I want, you know, because listen, it, you're like, you're saying it reflects who's on the sales floor. It reflects how the emails are being responded to. It reflects the photos on Instagram. It's this, this culture. And I think that, you know, even for me and trying to build my business, it is a challenge and an opportunity to constantly be looking at how can I be better and how can I, how can I make my community and my brand a place where it's inclusive and it feels like they're, you know, I truly want everyone to succeed. And I, I, you know, like, and I think that's really what my boutique owner listeners are thinking is I want women to feel good in our clothes and how can I do a better job in that sense? Even, you know, there's been a lot of conversation for many years about how do I include plus sizes in my collection? Right. And I mean, don't get me started on the vendor piece of that, right? But, yeah, you know, I think there is a lot of work still from a whole systemic, uh, a systemic piece of it. But I think what you're saying, too, is that as boutique owners, we can start at home and we can demand more from sort of our vendors and our photographers and our models and, and that look at all of that. I, I totally agree with what you're saying. I think one thing I do want to speak to is the challenge that most boutique, and I'm speaking to the choir when I say this, but I think that, um, and being someone who owned a small boutique, probably the number one challenge I had was finding the right people to represent my brand the way I wanted it to be represented um, and understanding that I'm not a big corporation. Right. And so the pool that I had to choose from and I'm not I, it was very diverse, like that wasn't the problem. And and in my store, I had I had young men, I had young women. They were all races. They were from different parts of town. You know, I, I might I had high school kids work part time. I had college kids who were interns like I, I did that. But it took a good amount of time to find those people who I could trust. And so, and I lived in a suburb of New York City. So there was no excuse not to have diversity, right? But, but if I were a small boutique in, you know, the Midwest, in some places in the Midwest, I mean, we know this factually, um, this is not anecdotal. <laughs> But there are places in the Midwest, there are places in everywhere, right? If you're a person who has grown up in the city or, or adjacent to a city, this is going to sound really foreign to you. But most of America is not like that. Most of America is very separate. And you are hard pressed to find a diverse team necessarily to be the reflect, you know, and I think that as a boutique owner, especially, 
you know, we talk about the importance of customer and the reflection, right, of, of the customer. If you, you might be asking yourself, if you are a boutique owner in a town where you look like everyone else, there, there aren't other people, why and how can I be diverse? Why should that be important to me? And how, how do I do it? So the first of why it should be important to you is diversity comes in really different packages. That is the pure nature of diversity. And so you might not see that people look different than you, but they could be different in so many different ways, right? And if you are a business person and you're smart enough to know that the world is very different, taking that chance to show that you understand the importance of inclusivity and equity. It doesn't always have to be about race. It, it, it's so deep on so many levels. And if you take the initiative, then people will see you as a broader member of the community. They will talk about you. They'll talk about you on social media. You will get a much larger chunk of the market Right, so if people just see your little boutique and they don't know anything about you, they're like, oh, it's a cute little boutique. But what could be happening in the back with additional orders and, and people talking about you and you being on a larger scale because you thought broader and understood the importance of equity inclusion, you cannot underestimate the value of that. Um, and so I, I say that uh, just to speak to the whole idea of why should I do that? And then how should I do that? It can be in so many different ways also. You know, I think I find social media an incredible tool to find new vendors and brands. I, I, I love it. You know, I just did my annual Christmas list um, of brands and I focused on buying black and sustainability, uh, supporting brands with folk, with um that have a purpose, right? And um, and then the the what was the fourth one? It was sustainability, purpose, um, buying black, and I don't remember the fourth, but it doesn't matter. It's this <laughs> idea of and I did all the research. But I can't remember that fourth. Chapter. It's okay. It's okay. But it doesn't matter. But so I'm saying that to say. You also can't say, it's like saying, oh, I didn't hire anybody because I couldn't find anybody who fit, right? That's not, that's no longer a viable excuse. There are so many, just on Instagram alone. And then when you go to TikTok, it just blows your mind. Um, but by Black, by, by women, um, by LGBTQ brand, like, you can be diverse in so many ways. And you also need to know, you need to meet your customer where they are and understand what's important to them. That comes with conversation and getting to know who you are. That's the advantage of owning a boutique. That was the best thing I loved about it because every day I could come in and I could talk to my customers. So there was never any question about what they liked and what they didn't like and what they were looking for. You know, that's the advantage that you have versus a large corporation, right? Because you can, you can have that touch every day. 
But I definitely think that um, in order for boutiques to survive, they have to be forward thinking. Like they need to, um, they need to drive the innovation in town, right? Like I, I was on your Instagram and I noticed that you as I am are a fan of David um, from Schitt's Creek. I love him. I do, <laughs> I do. I love him. I like the whole family. The, right? That whole the Rose family is so much love. I would love to have them for dinner. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. But do you think about how he started at the blouse barn? <laughs> right? Which that boutique owner very much represented how a lot of boutique owners feel. I feel like right. she was a very well character developed. Yeah. Yes, she was. She was. She was. And he came in with these ideas that had nothing to do with the customer. Right. And, <laughs> and, and then it, well, I mean, we could talk about this for a while, but it's just that idea that um, you have to know, you have to know. And then he changed, he changes it. And by changing it at first, people were like, what is this? But it became that spot in the neighborhood, right? In Schitt's Creek, but yeah. it became that spot in Schitt's Creek. And, and, and although it's a TV show and it's a comedy, you know, when you go into small towns, downtowns, and, and especially when you're working with your boutiques, that those boutique owners that take the chance to really have a persona and do things differently and to educate and to expose their customers to something new, something that they needed or wanted before they even knew that they needed or wanted, those are the boutiques that are going to be around and will grow. Um, they're almost like the um, the storytellers of the village, you know. It's they, true. They, it's they true. bring the life. Yeah. Right? Well, and I mean, if you even think about how general, you know, going back to him be having a general store. Yeah. General stores were based on sourcing local products and selling them to consumers. I mean, it's 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 an age old merchandising is an age old profession, an age old idea. And I think the way you're talking about diversity feels so good because it is about age, gender, LGBT, you know, preference, uh, color of skin, you know, it's all of that. And I think I do think that when women and men can see people who look more like themselves or sound more like themselves, or they just, even if they don't look or sound that way, they feel the energy of that. And I think that's what you're talking about in terms of like that backroom buzz, you know, it's like that energy that goes through the internet, that goes through the Instagram posts. And so I think you even just bringing that up and saying, okay, when you make an effort to say, this is a place where everyone can come and everyone's loud, as long as, I mean, yes, we still have to think about our customer and, you know, focusing on them. But I do think that we, in our own way, become leaders in creating a new world for ourselves. Yes. That's it. And that ownership, when you, the first, this is just my take, but when I had my store and even here with now I have this business that I've had for a little more than a year, that first small success 
I remember the first time I tried this new vendor um, when I, and I, it was called um, chalkboard t-shirt vendor. And it was created by two teachers. They were married and they were just cute little t-shirts and they had like this chalkboard on the front and it came with three pieces of chalk and a tube. And I met them when they, they first put it out there and they said, nobody's buying. Like they don't get it, they don't understand. And I said, but oh, I think it's such a cool idea because it gives kids or adults the chance to just kind of personalize who they want you to know, what they want you to know about them that day. How cool is that? And they were like, yeah, that's kind of why we did it. But people think they're like, oh no, they might put my child's name on the front. I'm like, well, you're, you're it, okay. I'm going <laughs> to buy, I'm going to do it. And I jumped in and I bought like 36 and put them in the window. And people are like, what is that? And I said, well, and I changed the message every day. Something simple like that. Well, within two weeks, totally sold out. And just, it, but it was just taking the chance that people would want to personalize, right? People want to personalize. And of course it's gone on to do other things and I'm not saying I created personalization, but just taking a chance. And this company now is a very big company. And, but that is the freedom that boutique owners need to have, that I think merchants and buyers in large companies, that freedom no longer exists. It no longer exists. I mean, there is, um, have you read the book about uh, Neiman Marcus? Um, it's on my bookshelf. Um, mm, I'll send you the name. Yeah. But it's about Neiman Marcus and it's about, um, uh, Ira Newmark, who he took Neiman Marcus from this, not Neiman Marcus, he took Bergdorf Goodman from this very small uptight business to what it is, you know, he left in the eighties, but he took it. And it was just so fascinating to read. Most of the people who were the stars of the day came from small family owned, um, stores, you know, on, on Main Street. Yeah. And, um, you know, they might have founded a certain blouse that blew up and that made their, their name. And, and so they would then go to the big city in New York after having these boutique backgrounds and um, really made a difference in the New York market because they knew what small town America liked. And then they could bring that to the larger cities. We don't have that connection anymore. And I think that's a disservice to everyone because America is just a bunch of small towns when you really think about it. So why wouldn't the local boutique owner be the voice, you know, or the person that, who's creating the story for that town or that village or that, you know, um, it's, it's, they don't get the credit that they deserve. Totally. There's so much opportunity in being small, but thinking big. A hundred percent. And honestly, I feel like I wish five years ago, big retailers would have thought more small and said, yeah. Hey, 
we should, you know, the one company I saw do it pretty well for a while was J. Crew with Jenna Lyons. Yeah. They put her in a position where she could be the face of the brand. She had conversations with people. She showed up at the, you know, she was the touch point and she was a human person who had a face, had a name, had a personality. And, you know, with the way boutiques now are working, where it's all social media, it's all that connection with the owner, feeling like you're friends with her or him. Mm -hmm. And, oh my gosh, they're curating this for me. I mean, to me, that was such a big, that's been such a big miss in my, in my, you know, perspective, having kind of been on both sides of the coin. Um, you know, there's other bigger problems, I think, with big retail, obviously. Mm -hmm. But, (laughs) you know, (laughs) but I think that there is that, I think that retail as a corporate entity became very disconnected with the customer and disconnected with the trend on a really small level and listening to those local managers, like you were, you know, listened to at Macy's back then. I think it, it, it got very impersonal and trend, you know, the trend driven piece of it wasn't the trend that was real. It was sort of the trend that they decided. And, and and that, that works sometimes, you know, but it's, it's an interesting place to live. And, And I continue to say as every March, we see more stores closing after the fiscal year ends, you know, and inventory is having to be called back. And, you know, in my opinion, and and I think this is also a weird collision, like I'm, I'm excited to see the future because I think the collision of big retail getting smaller and also COVID creating some bigger businesses from smaller, but right. Like the, the expansion has gone very different ways. I truly feel like boutiques are the future of retail that there is this sense of small business and whether small to like a boutique owner means a hundred thousand dollars a year or $10 million a year. You know, I think that there's so much potential there and that that's really why I do the work I do because I, I think corporate retails wildly out of touch. And, and I think that, you know, they had their heyday and so I think that the economy and that consumers want to feel connected, like you're saying, with a cause, with a person, with a, a woman who, you know, started in poverty and, and created something amazing and worked her way, right? It's like, we want to get behind those stories. That's exactly right. And that is, you know, that's, I think, just such a great reminder from you today about like looking for those stories and looking for those opportunities, whether it's from the person next door or from someone you find on Instagram. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I agree when, you know, it's like the Macy's of America, you know, I remember growing up and even it wasn't a boutique, but everyone had their family owned um, department stores that you shopped and right. they, it was, they were beautiful and you knew the people and, and, you know, you got service. I remember when I would go shopping with my grandmother um, when I was very young and she would buy all of her personal product like they would pull out a drawer and, and you know they would show her the bras and the panties and all this stuff and, and they serviced her in that way and and you know now everything's thrown on a table and it's a self-serve you know it's like there is a magic to that connection with the customer and um it's very important so i you know i 
any boutique owner has to understand that even though they're small in relation to a Macy's or whatever, that's a good thing because they're trying to figure themselves out and, and, and a boutique owner can create their own story. hundred percent. So I want to make sure we have enough time for you to talk about Bumbershoot because okay. I feel like, you know, I, I, I kind of understand what it is and I, you know, I want to make sure that it's really clear the communities that you're creating and the conversations that you're initiating that I think more of us need to be in on and feel comfortable having, you know, I think that this year has brought about a lot of change in so many of us, in know, just a more obvious way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that a lot of us are looking for people like you who are in a leadership role and who can, you know, navigate conversations that might otherwise feel a little uncomfortable or we're nervous about, but it feels like Bumbershoot is a community that's serving that purpose. So I want you to, I want you to tell everyone about it because I love this conversation. I could talk to you for 10 more hours, (laughs) but I do want you to talk about sort of like what you're doing now and, and the importance of it truly. Well, Bumbershoot came out, you know, Bumbershoot is um, Mary Poppins magic umbrella, right? Um, Mary Poppins, yeah. And uh, when I decided to start my company, I, I wanted it to be around community because I felt as a woman who had dedicated her life to corporate America and, and other people, I put my head down to just do what I needed to do. And I had achieved a lot. But then when I looked up, I started talking to other women who were, you know, my peers. And we all were like, where are we? (laughs) You know, we feel like it's time to be reborn. And I started a, I started a blog in 2009. It was when I started my, my, I opened my stores. I had very small children. I was consulting. I had this business. I had the kids. And I just um, started this blog called Spiceteria, and I named it Spiceteria because it was just my my like things that were happening to me, and instead of um, communicating emotions through words, I communicated them through spices um, and and flavorings and things like so. Because I wanted people to, I wanted it to be very um, uh, sensual. I guess is the best word to say. I wanted it to be central. I wanted people to experience it as I experienced it. And I did it over the years, you know, inconsistently. And I was uh, in New York and taking the escalator up. And the woman said, she looked across the escalator, she was going down and she said, you're Spiceteria. And it was like for my little picture, and she came over and she came up the escalator and I waited for her up top. And um, she was like, uh, where have you been? My friends and I follow you. You've helped us get through so many situations um, because you just bring this humor, this like intelligent humor to situations that are just could be horrible. And we've all experienced them as women. And so my friend was standing with me. And so I, you know, shook the woman's hand and, you know, we talked a little while and she looked at me and she's like, okay, so you know what you need to do, right? You know what you need to do. It's time for you to start doing more of that. Put Kimberly out there again. Go. And I said, yeah, you know, but I think I want to do more than just write the blog. I think it's time to build this community. And as I, I built that community, I did start doing events with Spice Terry and women came. 
they 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 came they're like yep you're speaking our language coming so then i then young women came and said hey we're not we're not gen x we're millennials we, you know we want to hear it too but it needs to be different okay so let's create a community for you so we created authentically us which is for younger women and then um i was <laughs> doing as I did those communities, people started to hear about me doing communities. Oh, can you speak about it? Can you talk about what you're doing? So then I started speaking to women, specifically about women supporting women and the importance of having support and the importance of community for women and your, you know, your professional, your mental health, your, all those things are so important because the busier we get, the harder it is to find that support and cohort. And so I spoke um, right after George Floyd. It was, uh, I had been doing speaking and more about community and things like that. And it, it was the weekend after George Floyd immediately following. And I got so many, Emily, I got so many calls and so many texts and emails. What are you going to do? What am I going to do? What are oh. you going to do? Oh. You have community. People expect that of you. What are you going to do about this? And I said, well, uh, okay, I'm going to do something. I got to think about it because I'm in it right now, but I have to think about it. And so I put together a panel the following week of, um, just amazing, like people, women I knew who were in that space, either as professors and understanding race and relations um, to um, attorneys who were working on the Innocence Project and like just put a panel, polit politicians, like put them together and said, we need to have a conversation on about this. And, I, and we had 500 women the first day. We did a two, I did a two day and there were women there who I didn't know, but heard me speak because I did my research. I was talking about the facts and, and I, out of that, I was asked to do more speaking engagements. And when I went into some of these companies and saw what the problem was, like I'm looking at a screen of 150 people and not one of them looks like me. And I'm supposed to be talking to your whole, what the hell? Right. So I, and then, you know, like once you open Kimberly, she's not closing up yet. Right. So I was like, I have a question. Where's the rest of your team? Did you not invite them? Uh, that's the, that's, uh. so I said, oh, I have to do some more. So then I just did more research and started putting my opinion out there and, and reading up on companies and what they were doing. And I was like, what, this is just, I thought it was just the companies I worked for. I didn't know it was everybody. It was crazy. And so I, as I was putting more out there, the company that I spoke with the first time on George Floyd and the condition and where America is and what they could do to make a difference, they came back to me and they were like, you know, we know you build community, but we want you to come in and do something for us. So I did an assessment of where they were and I realized what I could do. What I could do is use my experience in creating product, being customer centric, understanding process, and kind of full circle that and say, well, let's, let's assess where you are. And I want to help you get to where you wanna be. But in order for me to help you, 
I need to know that you are committed to getting there in an inclusive and equitable way. So I'm gonna help you build that talent pipeline as I help you build your process and your business so that by the time you get there, you get there on the right side of right. And so that's what I've been doing. And I have to tell you, I, I just, I love it. I'm still involved with the product. I'm still involved with the brand story and building businesses, but I'm doing it so that I'm helping businesses become purpose-driven. And if I work with purpose-driven companies, I want to make sure they stay on the right track. And, and so that's what Bumbershoot is. It's your magic. It's a magic umbrella. It comes in and it helps people get to where they want to go um, in the right way. And so I'm continuing to build communities. I have a new, relatively new community. I, I, I started it um, four months ago. It's called Walk in Retail, Women of Color in Retail. And I have to tell you, I tried to do this 10 years ago. And I put the word out because um, I was a young vice president. And so I put the word out. I wanted to know where other vice presidents who look like me were. Where are you? Because I don't see you. Where are you? And I got six people, six. So I put the call out again a few months ago. And I said, okay, so this is what I got six, I'm 10 years ago. Please tell me it's different. Tell me it's better. And I had like 10,000 views so on LinkedIn and we did a Zoom and we, we had a hundred women. And my son came in my office and he was like, oh my gosh, I've never seen that many just different hues of women. It was beautiful. We, and when I say women of color, we had women of color. It wasn't just black women. It wasn't, it was just the beautiful rainbow of women of color. And so last night we had our holiday gathering. I and saw that on Eventbrite. I was yeah, like, oh yeah. gosh, I wish I could have promoted it. Cause I feel like I have so many women in my community who would want to be a part of this, honestly. Well, there'll be so many other opportunities because now we're connected. I'm not going to let you go. I'm following you already, but um, there'll be lots of opportunities to bring them in. But that's what Bumbershoot is. And that's, I mean, it it keeps me busy and it keeps me really, I don't know, I feel younger. (laughs) I feel more energized. Feeling energized, feeling younger, isn't that exactly what we all want to do with our business. Make sure to check out Kimberly on Instagram. We're going to post all of her information about Bumbershoot and ways that you can follow her down in the show notes. I'm so happy that you stayed till the end to listen. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. If you ever want to send feedback or ideas or, you know, notes about the episode, feel free to always email us at hello at boutiquetrainingacademy.com. Here's to making lots of friends and making lots of money.